Magic Seekers and welcome to Turns Out She's a Witch. We're your hosts Tracy and Shannon and welcome to our podcast coven. today i'm very well how are you going i'm super excited because we're finally at the element that i have been being very patient to wait for the element of fire yes our last one of the series of the elements well let's dive on in and get burnt so (laughs) what are some symbols that would be associated with fire So the element of fire is symbolised by a triangle facing up. So it's quite simple. Just a triangle. Just a triangle, yep. And other symbols include the sun, swords, candles and the athame, which is a a ceremonial knife, which we will delve into later on. Okay then. Mm. <laughs> I love it how you drop these little things and then you're like, yeah, no, we're going to do that later. Yeah. Get away. <laughs> <laughs> these little witchy things. So hopefully everyone's learning, learning some of this yeah. terminology. Yeah. Mm. And um, I don't know if I know any fire signs in terms of uh, the star signs. Well, are they? they are Aries, Leo and Sagittarius. Well, it turns out nearly everyone I know is a fire sign. Oh, there you go. But Alaska's a fire sign, my daughter. She's a Leo. And then my two boys are Aries and they're fire signs. Oh, so you're surrounded by three little fires. That's cool. And I don't know any Sagittarians. Discovered that the other day when I did my episode with Emma, the astrologer. Oh, Turns out she's psychic. Um, I don't know any Sagittarians, but apparently Sagittarians are awesome people. They are. I've actually got a couple of friends that are Sagittarius and they are funny as hell and just the life of the party and super easygoing, friendly, just beautiful. Which is interesting because you would think that a fire would have that element of passion and and being really kind of not um, intense. Yeah. But then again. It doesn't sound like they are. No, I haven't found them to be like that at all um but then you look at like water signs like scorpio scorpio is a water sign but they're quite intense they can be quite intense yeah well Mm. matt's a scorpio my husband and i would have thought he was more fire yeah but as he's getting older he's he's becoming much more water once he's as he's becoming more into his authentic alignment he's Mm -hmm. definitely coming much more water yeah it's so interesting Mm. And fire uh, is also associated with summer, the full moon. Mm-hmm. So the full moon, which is the moon at its most full power and the direction of north. And also in the menstrual phase, it is ovulation. So it's that that full-on fire energy creation. Mm. Mm. And you know how we did the, um, the four stages of woman? Yes. Um, do you do kind of elemental magic around those stages? You could for sure. That? Yeah, you could definitely because they're each each phase is aligned with a particular element in a particular season and a particular phase of the menstrual cycle. So you could definitely yeah do corresponding magic around that. Hmm. Just to mm. sort of move with the flow of it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I might so, have to pick your brain about that later on. Yeah, definitely. Well, for fire, that is the mother phase. So okay. it is, yeah, full bloom, full power. Hmm. And when we talk about the sun mm-hmm. and fire. Yes. But then the full moon and fire. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's well, interesting. For me, I think about with 
there's a full moon is those burning rituals and ceremonies. So it's that releasing and what better way to release than to transmute something through flame. Um, so fire was like so revered by our ancestors for that reason. You think about all of the shrines, the temples, the festivals that are dedicated to that element. And yeah, you think fire brought life, it brought warmth. It was the difference between life and death back then. Um, you know, multiple cultures around the world also lit candles and sacred flames and lamps to ward off demons and evil spirits. So, yeah, it's got such a, a strong mythology behind it. And on the flip side, like I know we need it to survive and like we need the sun to survive. And But it's, yeah, the one element that does incite a bit of fear in myself and I know in other people <laughs> as well. So it's that double-edged sword, isn't it? Mm. And that we've, you and I have discussed that before in terms of it being a bit of a witch's fear. Oh, for sure. It's a witch wound, 100% with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know just through different um, experiences I've had with past life regression and energy work, and I know it, it came up in a session I did with you when we first met um, about, yeah, basically being burned at the stake, not once but twice, two lives in a row, um, <laughs> the first life. I had, uh, I was just a a herbalist. I wasn't a witch um, and I was burned and and vilified for that, for that knowledge. And the second one, I did kind of come back as a witch. I was practising, I was making spells and uh, talismans for people and um, but got caught again. So, yeah, it's that fear. Naughty girl. I know, but that fear is really real. And I know we've worked through that before, um, even before doing this podcast about that fear of being found out, that fear of being seen, that fear of being um, persecuted for my beliefs. That's still so strong within me. It's something I've definitely worked through, but I know I'm not alone in that. I know there's a lot of women out there that um, yeah, struggle with that too, that witch wound, and I'm sure it's past life stuff and it's whether it's ancestral as well, I'm not sure, but... Both. Yeah, and that's speaking out and knowing I'm safe in this life to do these things I would have been persecuted for, you know, 400 years ago. Hmm. And it's funny, though, because um, you have such an affinity with fire in terms of Asha Moon because you know that you need all the elements to create your pottery. Mm. But then to think that we don't need all of the elements to create our human experience would almost be silly to think that that we don't need it. And yeah. I remember saying to you, I think I might have texted it to you um, when you were kind of really in the thick of this whole safe to be seen fire thing it must have been just around the sacred stones yeah stage and I remember texting you saying um it's time to learn to dance with the fire yeah yeah and I'll never forget that because I know that that dropped in you I know it did because straight after that things started to change it did it was uh definitely a pivot point for me of um yeah, understanding that I have to work with it and I have to work through it. And this is the lifetime to do it. There's never been a time before uh, where we've been so safe to have our freedom of expression and our freedom of beliefs. And yeah, this is the time. Yeah. And, you know, the the fire was something that for witches belonged to us Mm. before it was used against us. Yeah. And so it's really just um, bringing back your power and bringing back what's rightfully yours that was taken from you and used against you. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's beautiful. I do too. And there is a quote that uh, I have seen going around on uh, Instagram and it's, you know, why do we fear the witches? Why don't we fear the ones who burned them? And it's Mm -hmm. so true. And I feel... That was probably one of the main reasons I wanted to start this podcast was to, I guess, educate people that being a witch isn't a devil worshipper. It's not something scary at all. It's it's literally living in alignment with the elements, the seasons, the cycles. It's a beautiful way to live your life and it's something to be revered and, and not be scared of. But I do understand there's so much stigma um, and it goes back to those burning times. There was so much 
story created to um, vilify these people and literally burn them at the stake. Like they made up all sorts of things, you know. So mm. when majority of them were just wise men and women and healers and they knew the way of plants and they knew the way of energy and, and the earth around them. Well, even when I think about um, technology like IT, you know, computer tech and artificial intelligence and all that kind of thing, like they're all magicians too. For sure, they are. They're all magic makers. They're all from the witch's realm. They're all just using energy yeah, and creating it in a way that is modern and yet no one fears them. Mm, true. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of different ways that witches are are out there living, whether they identify as one. Like I don't identify as a witch, but mm -hmm. I know that I am one and I know I practice many ways of the witch, but I just don't identify as it. Yeah. Um, I'm just not disciplined enough to do that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, th I think that um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up in this, pod this episode as well was how interesting it was at the sister circle that you held um, where the fire blew up and mm -hmm. didn't even get you. Like you were standing <laughs> practically on top of this fire pit and I was watching you get so close to that fire and you had like a, you had tights and like a longer flowing yeah. sort of outfit on that, you know, would have, should have gone up in smoke. Mm. It really should have. It just should have just gone and like burnt to a crisp. Um <laughs> But you got so close to it and then uh, like an alcohol bottle or something exploded inside of the fire pit because it was part of the offerings yeah. that we were doing to the ancestors. And it burnt people that were standing like a metre away. And yet you were standing on top of it and it didn't even touch you. Mm, like, not but even it did. a mark. I saw it touch you. I saw <laughs> it. I saw the flames come in front of you like I saw it and yet you came out with nothing nothing yeah. and there were people like a meter half a meter away that had little embers all over them and had their hair burnt on their arm and I was like yeah that's it that's it so it's just like you that you've become one with that fire now and mm. it, it can't be taken back anymore well, I think when that incident happened, I remember the next day being like, oh my gosh, like why did that happen? And what did that mean? You know, and being quite concerned mm. of trying to decipher the energetic meaning behind it. But I really do like thinking back and reflecting on it. It was showing me that I am protected. I am so protected, uh, yeah, with fire and with the work that I'm doing. It was a, it was a massive, like. Validator. Yeah, huge, huge. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty it was a pretty big spin out. And I think because um no one there knew what I knew about you mm. with fire and I was just I was having the biggest spin out, just going, Oh my god. Yeah. Do you guys know what just happened? Like do you even get it? <laughs> and it's crazy. When I think back to even as a child, I had this irrational fear. Like it makes sense now, now that I know what I know. Um and all the work that I've, I've done on myself. But yeah, like you can ask my mother, I was always paranoid about our home burning down and I was forever checking things before I went to bed and yeah, had this, a fascination with it, but also this really like deep, deep fear that yeah, everything was just gonna wow. burn around, around us. It was horrible. Past life stuff right there. Mm. Um, okay, so um, what when we when we were just talking then about doing your sister circles and how um, we made offerings and we put them in the fire pit? Mm -hmm. um, how what types of fire can be used in magic and how can it be used? So the types of fire you've got candles. So mm -hmm. candles can be used for like a variety of spell purposes, especially color candle magic, which you know that I love. At and that point, do at that point is it like flame it is the flame it is the flame because you actually with candle magic watch the flame and decipher what the flame is doing so if the flame is mm. burning strong and bright mm. and quite tall you know that your spell is being well received if it's kind of flickering around uh, you might have more work to do if it's a really weak flame it can yeah, give you an indication of the strength of your spell or even the okay. outcome the outcome of the spell as well 
And the yep. same goes for, um, you know, when we do hold, hold circle and we do uh, like full moon ceremonies and people burn their list of what they no longer want to hold on to, I always say to them to watch that paper and how it burns because it tells you so much. If it goes up in like a full-on blaze, you know that you are ready to release what you've written down. If it's like keeps stopping and starting all the time, then you've got more work to do with whatever you've written down. So it's really, really interesting and I love it. I love watching that because we can all write things down on the same type of paper. It's the same fire everything's the same but people's the way it burns is so different That's that happened to me at your first sister circle that you did um <laughs> the things that I wrote down and I, I kept telling myself the whole way home now it was the way I folded it it was the way I folded <laughs> the paper <laughs> because it just wouldn't burn it would light and then it would just go out and it would light it just would go out and yeah. I know how to light stuff I'm a fire person I love fire I know how to make things light um, and I'm just thinking, what did I do wrong? Like, <laughs> it's just like, you're not ready to let it go, Tracy. That's it. <laughs> yes, I am. Take a hint, yes, Tracy. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Oh, so with um, candles, yeah. So you can also um, dress your candles with certain oils and herbs as well uh, to add into your spell work. And you can also carve sigils. I know we did an episode with sigil creation. So you can carve a sigil into the candle to cast a spell that way too. That's cool. Yeah. And then uh, you've got bonfires. So big, large outdoor fires were traditionally used for cleansing and protection purposes. And bundles of herbs uh, would be thrown into these fires and people would jump over them for cleansing and protection. And they can also be used for burning spell ingredients that you might have used that you want to dispose of and gathering around for large group rituals uh, for celebrations. And also you can use a bonfire for um, fire divination, which is pyromancy, which I haven't done yet, but probably should do that. That sounds like something I want to do with you. Have you done pyromancy? I'm a pyromaniac. I'm a pyromanciac. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was younger, I did. Like I'm talking late teens. <clears throat> um, but no, not since then. I haven't really done spell work since around that time. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, fun. I do love it. It is. It is. And then you've also got another type of fire is the hearth fire. So these are generally fires in a fireplace or a stove. And they were prominent features in the homes of our ancestors. So they were used for cooking, warmth, and a place where your family would gather. And for this reason, the hearth was considered the heart of the home, much like our modern kitchens today. So hearth fires are associated with health, wellness, warmth, wisdom, birth, creativity, and life. So to honour your hearth fire, you can place a bowl of oranges or a lit candle on your stovetop. So that's nice. A bowl of oranges on your stovetop. Yeah, yeah, like on the mm. on top of the um, the mantle. Like as in as in to symbolise the orange of the flame. The orange of the flame and abundance and all those beautiful attributes. Mm. That's cool. It is. And then you've got uh, another form of fire which occurs naturally is lightning. So atmospheric electrostatic discharge. Uh, often appears to us um, it can be very destructive in nature and lightning can be used in witchcraft to focus energy so lightning touched areas are believed to be supercharged and the energy of these areas can be used to enhance your spell work enchant objects and infuse them with power so lightning can also be used in storm magic to bring around rapid change as well that's cool mm. So if there's and a partic- next storm coming. Yeah, and I guess <laughs> trying to find where the lightning has struck, but I guess, you know, there's a lot of trees out in the bush that you can clearly see that lightning struck it, so that would be quite a powerful place to do that kind of spell work. I have a client who's a storm chaser. Oh, wow. In Australia, but he travels all around the world. But, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's not Australian-born. He's actually, I think, Egyptian or maybe Armenian or something, but something from over there. Um, but he's lived here for a long time and yeah, he's a storm chaser. He's got the full storm chaser, big wow. get up car and the, the dishes, things and everything that would be coming intense. off it. That my gosh. It would be so cool. Oh. 
the, imagine the adrenaline. It oh. would just be just. Ugh. I'd probably pass out from that adrenaline. I can't even watch action movies. I am such a wuss <laughs> with that kind of thing. Honestly, I am <laughs> such a like soft little Piscean over here. I just yeah, my gosh. <laughs> Too sensitive, too much. I really am. <laughs> it's too loud, it's, it's too fast, it's too much. Too much, too much action. Um, and then another form of, of fire is the sun. So it is our ultimate life giver on planet Earth, warming our atmosphere, allowing plants to carry out photosynthesis and providing the energy necessary for most of the processes on Earth. So sunlight can be used to purify, cleanse, charge and energise you and objects. And it's a masculine energy in nature. Um, So while generally good, it can also be used to harm, like when you think about being sunburnt. So sunlight can be used to ignite a situation, burn away at enemies, illuminate situations and also to remove negativity. So cool. It is, it is. And then last of all, you have ash. So to me, ash symbolises fertility, rebirth, change and transformation. And as you know, I love using the ashes from my ritual fires in my spell Mm -hmm. work. Um, But I do know in some, you know, some forms of witchcraft, they don't view it as a sacred thing, but I personally do. I think it's great. Yeah, I, I do. Mm. It kind of just makes sense because it's still a thing and it's useful. And one of the things that I do know about witches is that there's a use for absolutely everything. And everything Everything gets recycled. Everything has a purpose. It does. It does. My uh, sister's name is Ashley, but obviously shortened to Ash. And growing up, um, I mean, she's 10 years younger than I am, so I was was older. But um, you know how... Um, if you've got more than one child or grandchildren or whatever and you get the name wrong, like you, you're mm-hmm. calling out. Like I call the dog Luca all the time <laughs> and, and I call like I call Harley Luca or whatever and it's just you call them the wrong name. So there was a period of time where my mum would go to say um, Ash but would say would go to start it with Tracy and it would turn out trash <laughs> and then... And then sometimes, because we, we couldn't stop laughing about it, then she um, would reverse it and it became ashtray. Oh, gosh. So either way, she just couldn't get it. Like trash either or way, ashtray. It hel- yeah, it was either trash or ashtray. And, and so I turned into ashtray and she turned into trash. Love it. <laughs> um, but I've always liked the name Ash. Yeah. And that's one of the things when when our mutual friend B um, from the Be with B podcast, when she introduced or when she um, mentioned you at the first time, it was when a local cafe um, opened up around the corner, and she was saying how she was saying to the owner of it that they should contact you to get um, custom made mugs and mm-hmm. things like that for their cafe because you do this bespoke work. And I'm like, who are you talking about? What are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, her name's Shannon, but she has this business called Asha Moon. And I'm like, immediately going to like that person. <laughs> Love it. Well, my name, um, my dad insisted on me being called Shannon, but my mum wanted to call me Ashley. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So I could have been an Ashley and the name Asha Moon actually came to me in a dream. And that was Oh, like maybe two years before I actually had the idea, like the concept of the business Asha Moon. Uh, so it was really interesting. I met in my dream, I met myself and said to myself, if you could be the most authentic version of yourself, who would you be? And in my dream, I said, I am Asha Moon. And I remember waking mm-hmm. up and yeah, turning to my husband and saying, I'm Asha Moon. And he's like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I just I dreamt it. telling you that story. Yeah. It's so cool. And I registered the business name that day, not knowing like for another two years what it was actually going to be. So, yeah, it was cool. Remind me to tell you something off air as well. Sorry, listeners. But <laughs> I just had, I had my own version of that happen the other night, Ooh. which was really interesting. I know. Um, okay. So um, back on track. Um, is that kind of all of the fire magic sort of stuff out of the way? Can I move yes. on to crystals? Let's move on. Okay, so what crystals are associated with the element of fire? Well, you've got ruby, carnelian, garnet, red jasper, bloodstone, gold, pyrite, fire opal, lava stone, obsidian and tiger's eye. So they're all of those Mm. beautiful, rich 
fiery colours. Yeah, so those mm. reds and crimsons and orange. And oh, I was wondering if smoky quartz was going to be in there. True, yeah. It's not on my list, but I could see the association for sure. Yeah, with the smoky mm. quartz. It's got that beautiful... Smoke? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Who'd have thunk oh. it? <laughs> so with those particular crystals, I think... The first, one of the first ever crystals I ever owned was a piece of tiger eye. Uh, so it brings confidence, strength, courage, protection and good luck and enhances personal power, allows clarity and aids in good decision making. And another favourite of mine is, and I love working with it, is carnelian. So it's a really stabilising stone connected to the root chakra. It restores vitality, motivation, stimulates creativity, and carnelian is also said to boost fertility and stimulate sexuality. And amber, which um, I know we brought this up in the last episode in air, but it is also associated with fire because it is referred to as tears of the sun. So, yeah, and it's used for protection, healing, courage, and to create protection amulets. So I thought that was a beautiful one to add in to today. So it could be used for air or fire. No wonder why I love it. True. So I want to move on to colours now, but I would, would I be right in saying that the colours would be the reds and the oranges? You would be very correct. So red, yellow, orange, gold, and crimson. What about blue or purple because I know that that's the hottest flame yeah I don't think typically they are associated with fire but I do understand yeah mm. what you're saying like a, I can just picture a Bunsen burner right yeah. away yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I was teaching Alaska the other day um she wanted to cook two minute noodles mm-hmm. and um she asked if she could do it and I said well I can help you do it and she wanted to know why the flame we got a gas stove mm-hmm. why the flame um, wasn't the same colour as the fire pit. Yeah. And, and I was explaining to her about it's a different temperature of the, of the fire and how if you ever see the blue flame or the purple flame, that's a really hot fire. And, you, like, I mean, you need to stay away from all fire, but mm. the blue and the purple one is the hottest. So make sure you never, ever go near it. Um, and, yeah, so then when we were talking about the colours of fire, I'm thinking, hmm, I yeah. wonder if it's been there. Well, you can add it in there if you associate those colours for sure. That makes sense. Do what I want. You can. That's the beauty of witchcraft. You can do what you damn well want to. Especially as a solitary witch. True. (laughs) Um, Okay, so that's cool. So then um, you could add those colours to your altar? Absolutely, you sure can. So through all the different objects, whether that be candles or crystals or the altar cloth itself, yeah, you can definitely do that. Um, so when it comes to the colours, we can put them on our altar, we can incorporate them in, but then like at different times of um, the wheel of the year for different festivals and different Sabbaths? For sure, like you can incorporate them in via crystals that we just spoke about or the altar cloth colour, candles, whether you're adding in different elements like flowers or even food items on your altar, depending on the Sabbath, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful way of bringing in that season and that energy. So I have another question. If we're going to have altars and we sort of prepare them for each Sabbath, um, if we want to do spell work, how does the, the altar that's prepared for the Sabbath, if we only have one altar, how does the altar that's prepared for the Sabbath affect the spell work that we're doing? Well, it would influence with the energy of that particular Sabbath. So I guess be mindful of that. Whatever spell work you're doing, is it aligned with the particular, yeah, altar set up at that point? Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, you can even, like, make a altar, like, to create spell work, like cast a circle. You can do it anywhere. You don't particularly need to do that on a altar as such like yeah yeah like you're kind of lacking room which I know I am at the moment living in that little cabin I um will often just set up on the floor like make sure no one's around and yeah put my my altar cloth down on the floor and set up my four element items and and cast circle so you can do it anywhere right okay so if you're a little bit worried or not sure Mm -hmm. and you can't really find the correct information you could just do it somewhere else yeah with a cloth Mm mm-hmm 
cool. Okay, so this is one that I'm actually really interested to know about. What are the plants that are associated with fire? You have juniper, cloves, ginger, marigolds, chilies, mustard, nettle, hibiscus, saffron, and oils such as orange, lemon, and cinnamon. So they're all those colours, but also the spice, like those spicy mm. spicy foods Zesty. and herbs. Mm. Mm. Intense flavours. Pack a punch. Mm. And so what about essential oils? Same? Yes. Yeah, so your cinnamon, lemon, orange, bergamot, those kinds of oils. I burnt ones. cinnamon, not burnt. I put a diffused cinnamon when I first got it, and that was a mistake. Yeah? Oh, it's so strong, so strong. I feel like I should have just, like, put a sniff of it in the diffuser because it was just so strong. Yeah, I haven't used it on its own, actually. I've used it in different blends, but, yeah, I'll have to it, bear I that in mind. I an aversion. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know when some some things you smell that are stronger than others and it, some things bother, like coriander, it bothers some people and it doesn't bother others? Mm. Like, that's one of the really common ones, cilantro. Um, and I do I say thought, it's about your genetics too and how you... I know with the taste of coriander, I love it. Boo me too. hates it. And apparently it's genetic. Like it's the way yeah. you, you actually perceive that flavour. Mm. It's so interesting. Mm. Um, okay, what about animals? What animals yeah. are associated with the element of fire? So you've got the lion, the snake, fox, ladybug, bee, shark, scorpion, horse and tiger. Horse. A horse, yeah, yeah. That's a and surprise one. I will go into why. So the lion, obviously, and it's associated with Leo, that is a fire sign, uh, symbolises majesty, courage, strength, protection, family, wisdom and confidence. And the horse represents personal drive, passion and appetite for freedom. And among all of the spirit animals is one that has a very strong motivation that carries it throughout its life. So you think of horsepower. That makes sense. I would have pegged horse as air. Yeah, I could see that too with the free spirit and the running yeah. and the wind and, yeah. But one thing that I remember from last week's episode was that there was something that I said I would have thought fire. So there must be, and you said that there's kind of this air-fire thing that happens, this dance where they mm. work together and that must be what that is that's coming yeah. through again with the horse. Yeah. That's cool. And then you've also got the bee. So... Bees embody community, brightness and personal power. And the ancient Druids saw the bee as a symbol of the sun, the goddess and celebration. Mm. And you think bees also have that little sting in their tail as well. So, uh, Like a scorpion. That's well, onto the scorpion. So a scorpion is widely seen as dangerous, making it a symbol um, of danger and even death. And in some cultures, it's seen as a symbol of protection and change as well as control and power. So it's very aligned with that fire element. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, so moving on now to mythologies and deities. Yes, my favourite part of this series, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so many actually that are aligned with fire. So I'll just read out. A little selection. So there's Bridget, who we did a big mm -hmm. segment on in our Imolk um, podcast. And you've got Vesta, the Morrigan, Freya, Ra, Horus, Vulcan, Pele, Sekhmet, and Fuji. But I thought today I'd focus on the Polynesian volcano goddess Pele. And I love Pele. Oh, I loved researching her. It was awesome. So I found some information on Pele in my book Encyclopedia of Spirit by Judica Isles, which I will reference in the show notes. I think Laura was getting online to buy this book after our <laughs> Earth episode. So Pele is a divine ancestral spirit and a spirit of justice. So she provides for those she considers her people in times of famine, drought and need. So Pele destroys, but she's also a vigilant guardian. Pele is also a love goddess. Much of her mythology focuses on her romantic and erotic adventures. She's incredibly generous and also incredibly temperamental. I can't speak today. Temperamental. <laughs> her fury is akin to a volcano blowing its top. 
She's a lusty goddess who loves music, dancing, food, drink, and men. It's said that when Pele was born in the society islands of either Tahiti or Bora Bora, the images of flames could be seen in her eyes. Her uncle, the island's firekeeper, had been waiting for years for someone to whom he could transmit his knowledge. When he saw Pele's eyes, he knew she was the one. Fiery phenomena started to increase on the island, though, with spots, you know, spots of flames, and Pele and her uncle were blamed for this. Pele and her older sister, the water goddess Namaka, fought, and Pele was banished, placed on a canoe with supplies and any siblings who chose to travel with her. Her arrival in Hawaii was heralded by lightning and volcanic eruptions. She initially had trouble finding a home. Namaka pursued her, dousing Pele's flames. Finally, Pele burrowed into the volcano Kilauea on the big island of Hawaii, her home base ever since. Pele likes to travel. There are legends about her throughout the Hawaiian Isles. She likes to get out and about, interacting with people. She's said to rescue people who are gracious, polite and kind to her, usually warning them of dangers on the road. On the other hand, she allegedly curses those who remove anything from her volcano, such as rocks and plants. The curse manifests as bad luck, ranging from unemployment, illness and accidents. Some claim that she is an invented legend, but the 2,000 pounds of rocks that are returned to Hawaii Volcanoes National Park annually, accompanied by letters from people describing their misfortune, would prove otherwise. Pele is an extremely adaptable goddess and seems to have fun playing the role of the vanishing hitchhiker. She often stands or walks along very lonely roads after dark. She appears old and fragile, not at all threatening. A kind person would stop and ask if she was okay and needed a lift. Those who do not pick her up, however, will meet with trouble. Alternatively, she will just magically appear in their car anyway. Pele protects her descendants and people she loves. She's the mistress of magic and hula dancing. In December 1824, Chief Capiolani and early and fervent convert to Christianity defied Pele. She travelled up to the Kilauea fire pit. People followed her weeping, convinced she would die. Capiolani marched several hundred feet into the crater and then threw rocks into the pit, announcing that Jehovah was her god and that he, not Pele, had kindled the volcano's flames. In 1881, almost 60 years after Capiolani's defiance, lava streamed towards the town of Hilo. Princess Ruth Kielikalani, a traditionalist who still practiced spiritual Hawaiian traditions, was delegated to appease Pele. She brought her offerings of brandy, silk scarves and offered traditional prayers right in front of the Christian church. The lava, which had already reached the outskirts of Hilo, immediately stopped. Pele manifests in any form she desires, young or old, gorgeous or haggard. Her hair may be black, red, white or silver. She likes to dress in red. Theoretically, any woman might be Pele, so all women should be treated with respect. And that is Pele. Wow, I love Pele. That's a great story. I didn't know all of that. I knew bits of it. So thank you for sharing the rest of it. Did you know that Peridot is believed to be Pele's tears? No, I was not aware mm. of that. So Peridot is found on the seashore uh, just outside of the um, outside of the volcanoes. And so they, they, the, the mythology and the story goes that, um, that they're, because Peridot, for those who don't know, the listeners, it's a, usually a tiny um, pebble-like, really small pebble crystal that um, is smooth in itself because it's been tumbled by the ocean usually, um, but not, um, like it's usually misshaped. It's like mm. kind of doesn't really have like a, a circular shell type shape. It's got sort of like, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like, um, they're like clumps, I guess would be, I don't know. Is that a good word? What do yeah. you think for, to describe it? It's like a clump. But they're a little like clump. Little, little pebbles. Yeah. Clump. Yeah. Little pebbles. Um, and they're a beautiful sort of translucenty, um, earthy green with other little kind of deposits in there as well um yeah so that's believed um the 
the story is the story goes over there that they are Pele's tears. I love that. Yeah, me too. Learned and when I when I day. got my first piece of peridot, um, that's when I learned about who Pele was and was just like, ooh. So I kind of never forget that connection because I'll never mm. forget when I received that peridot. Um, Beautiful. Cool. So what other element elementals are associated with fire element? So you have the salamander, the dragon, phoenix, and the dejin. Uh, but I thought we'd cover the phoenix today. So, because mm. mm, I know there's a lot the order of, of the phoenix. Yeah, there's a lot of information out there. Is that Harry Potter? Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> I'm yet to watch all of those. I'm so behind with things. But what? I know my daughters love it, but yeah, I haven't actually sat down and watched all the movies yet. Oh, I need to do God. it. Where have you been? I know under a rock, a really big one, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> So I found this information regarding one version of the story, The Phoenix, um, from a website called mythology.net, written by Professor Geller. So uh, it goes like this. In the still of the night, just before sunrise, a magnificent creature builds its nest. You stop and watch it as it carefully puts each spice, clove and branch that lay before it in place with meticulous detail. As you stand and watch, you are struck by the tiredness of the creature that is clearly evident, though in no way it takes away from its beauty. The sun begins to rise and the bird begins to stretch. Its feathers are a beautiful hue of gold and red, the phoenix. It cranes its head back as it sings a haunting melody that stops the sun itself in the sky. A spark falls from the heavens and ignites a great fire that consumes both bird and nest. But don't worry, in three days, the phoenix will rise from the ashes, born again. So what is a phoenix? The story of the phoenix is legendary and is most likely one of the most ancient, well-known myths in the modern era. The legend is famous for the many elements it is said to concern. Life and death, creation and destruction, even time itself is tied into the tale of the phoenix. The phoenix was known to be a majestic bird-like creature that lived in paradise. The phoenix, like all other creatures who live in paradise, was known to live a good life. It was a land of unimaginable perfection and beauty and was said to exist somewhere beyond the brilliance of the sun. However, in time, the bird began to feel the effects of its age. After a thousand years had passed, it was ready to move on. As the phoenix was known to live in paradise, it was also known that it could never truly die. However, it was possible for the creature to be reborn. As such, this is what happened in order for the creature to be born again. First, the phoenix flew west into the mortal world. It was necessary to leave paradise and enter our world so that the creature could be reborn. It flew west until it reached the spice groves that grew in Arabia. It stopped there to collect only the finest herbs and spices, especially cinnamon, before continuing its journey to Phoenicia, which is most likely named after the creature. Once the phoenix reached Phoenicia, it built a nest of the herbs and spices it had gathered and waited for the sun to rise. The next morning, when the sun god began to drag his chariot across the sky, the phoenix would turn east to face him as the sun rose above the horizon. It would then sing one of the most beautiful and haunting melodies known to man, so perfect that even the sun god had to pause and listen to its sweet notes. When the phoenix finished its farewell song, the sun god readied his chariots and continued his journey across the sky. This caused a spark to fall from the sky and ignite the nest of herbs and the phoenix in flames. All that was left was a tiny worm. This, however, was not the end of the cycle. After three days, a new phoenix would rise from the ashes, supposedly transformed from the worm, and begin the next cycle of 1,000 years. It would carry the remaining ashes of its parents to the great Heliopolis, which translates to City of the Sun, and then returns to paradise until its next cycle comes to an end. The phoenix was also known to have regenerative powers and was considered to be both invincible and immortal, excluding the end of its life, where it was necessary for the next phoenix to be reborn. Because of this power, the phoenix was known to be a symbol of fire and divinity. The tears of the bird are also thought to have healing abilities that could be harnessed by humans. 
Similar mythologies around solar birds or firebirds are found in many cultures around the world, such as the Bennu in Egyptian mythology, the Milcom in Jewish mythology, the Garuda in Hindu mythology, the Thunderbird in Native American mythology, and the Firebird in Slavic mythology. In ancient China, the phoenix was a symbol of the Chinese empress and was also thought to represent feminine grace and the sun. It was considered to be good luck if a phoenix was spotted. It was known to symbolise the ascension of a wise leader and a new era. The most common source that is credited for the inspiration of the phoenix is metaphorical storytelling that was used to describe the spirituality of ancient culture. Many of the cultures that embraced the phoenix were known to believe in immortality through reincarnation. It is likely that the story of the phoenix was created to give a more vivid description of the cycle of life, death, and rebirth. Wow. Pretty wow. cool. I love that. I do too. I like that. I'd always heard of the phoenix and, you know, knew about it, you know, going up in flames and being reborn. But, I, yeah, I really enjoyed researching that one about all the different cultures and about that link with reincarnation. It's really beautiful. Mm. I think um, I can't really remember a time when I would have known it beforehand, but my kind of my first interaction with a phoenix from what I can remember is from the Order of Phoenix from Harry Potter and Dumbledore, who is the headmaster of Hogwarts, the, the school that Harry goes to, um, had, he, he's, his familiar is a phoenix and Harry goes and um, meets the phoenix in Dumbledore's sort of quarters and he the phoenix leans over and drops one of his tears to help Harry and then the phoenix just goes and <laughs> just like wow. burst into burst into like ash like flames and nothingness and then Harry's just standing there like okay I just killed Dumbledore's phoenix <laughs> but he didn't know that that's what phoenix did and then the next time he came back he saw the phoenix back again and it's obviously the reincarnation of the phoenix but he didn't know that that's what happened I am gonna have to watch the movie now yeah. I really am you should you really should because it's um it's it's got great as like I have to admit I haven't watched the last two um because they kind of lost me a bit um but the first four or five are just are so good. They're so good and they're so funny. I'm gonna have but to get But there's lots on. of magic in there. Yeah, and wizards. I would and love lots it. Of I'm it. sure. Yeah, <laughs> you should do it. You should do it. Um, okay. So, what about for people like yourselves, yourself, who um, may not be that friendly with fire? Mm-hmm. What can we do to get to know this element through ritual? Well, as I've discussed in the other element episodes, definitely creating an altar dedicated to that element and leaving it up for at least one to two weeks and meditating in front of it, journaling, connecting with that energy, Uh, lighting candles each day is a beautiful way. That's a way that I've actually connected more with with fire. Um, Every day I light a candle in the afternoon, like when I'm going around the house and turning on lamps and closing blinds. And I just, it's a little... I love that time of day. It's beautiful. And it's a beautiful way to unwind. And I just love candlelight. It's just soft and it adds a beautiful energy into the room. So that's a nice way that I've built more of a relationship. And also through doing ritual with fire. So burning, um, you know, your list of things you want to release and also the Sabbath bonfires and yeah, having that celebration around fire as well. So mm, that would be my, mm. my suggestions. Lovely. And flame watching, mm. you know, getting to love watching the flames dance. Um, I love doing that. I love sitting out at the fire pit and just watching the flames just do their thing. Oh, it's mesmerizing. I think it's so beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And to think people have done that for thousands of years, they've gathered yeah, around fire. Yeah, because fire is fire. Yeah, fire is. doesn't change. No. Fire is fire. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so we had an email um, written from a lovely listener named Isa, all the way from Finland. So thank you, Isa. So I'm going to read it out to you, Shannon. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll see what you've got to say about it. 
So, hello you beautiful witches. First of all, thank you so much for keeping up with the show even during lockdown. Hearing you in my ear holes weekly is such a grounding thing during these weird times and I am truly grateful for your effort. I have been a regular listener of the TOSP podcast for those who don't know that, that's turns out she's psychic lingo, um, for a year now. And when you're, when you announced, turns out she's a witch, I literally did a not so small happy dance. <laughs> My face has hurt so many times since while listening to you, because I usually just smile through the whole episode that tells, that tells it about how important your podcast has become in my life. I have been pondering about this question for a while, and especially after the All My Witches episode. Is witchcraft usually a solo practice, or was it in some day and age performed mostly in groups? You both identified yourself as solitary witches, and so do I. Most of the witches I have met are also in that category. I have tried for a few years to put a coven to put up a coven and usually it just doesn't work out and to be honest I don't know anyone who is a part of a coven apart from this podcast coven obviously <laughs> um could it be that we are still recovering and healing from the witch hunts that it feels safer for us to do solitary witchcraft or could it be just the state of the world or has witchcraft been mostly a solitary art from the beginning and covens have just been have been just as rare as these days the whole concept of doing witchcraft craft in a group feels so intriguing and on the other hand so foreign so maybe the question is is solitary witchcraft the original way or is it something that has been rising in the modern times so much love and many 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 thanks to you lovelies hugs Isa. oh thank you Isa. that's such a beautiful email and warms my heart on so many levels yeah. that's for sure uh so yeah to answer your question i think originally people would have been solitary witches because witches were the healers, the wise women. They would have been doing a lot of this stuff in their own kitchens, their own homes, their own hearth fires. They would have been creating, um, you know, little talismans and healing balms and things like that for their own family and community. So that's, I imagine, they would have been solitary. And I think all witches do start out as solitary because you've got to start somewhere. Um, in regards to covens, that's a really interesting one. I did a little bit of research and look, there is noted covens going back to like, you know, the 16, 1700s. But as I was just chatting to you about off air, Tracy, was it's hard to decipher if that was actually a coven or if it was part of the witch trials and people having to out um, other members of their families or communities to try and save themselves from being persecuted. So it's a really tricky one. I'm, I'm not actually 100% sure if there would have been proper covens back then or if it was kind of folklore um, designed to persecute. I do know that in the 1950s, like when Gerald Gardner and other um, people did kind of bring the rise of neo-paganism, that um, covens 100% became a thing, um, definitely like in Wicca. And... Yeah, I, I don't think you're alone in... I think it is hard to find covens. I don't think people kind of go around advertising it and um, I guess it would be quite an amazing thing to find a group of women that you were aligned with that you could work magic with because my understanding is it is more potent, that's for sure, to do group ritual. Uh, you're kind of gathering all that energy and, yeah, it'd be very powerful, so... I haven't myself been in a coven. Um, I have done group ritual work, though, like with circle work and sister circles, and it is very powerful as a collective. Um, so I can just imagine how powerful being part of a coven would be. Uh, mm. And my understanding of a coven is in Wicca, traditionally it is like you have a high priestess or a priest who kind of um, oversees how everything's going and there's 12 other participants so it's 13 people in total but I've also heard um you know it can just be three people or six people or you know a small group so yeah I wonder if there's any kind of um I wonder if there's any uh way of maybe considering the fact that way 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 back um whether or not families were mm. like a coven 
very like, true. the aunts and the cousins and the grandparents would come together as a collective and um and that was kind of the earliest form of a coven that makes sense and you imagine that would have happened because these people would have been passing down their knowledge of Mm -hmm. you know herbs and the lay of the land kind of thing and the seasons and the cycles and the celebrations so yeah that makes total Mm. sense and they would come together for ritual work and Mm. for ceremonial um pagan uh, sabbats and things like that and then maybe in the reincarnation of time and the witches coming back as those witches came back and had more human experiences maybe that's when covens became a thing because they were seeking their family Mm. they were seeking that missing link that they knew information came from this source of a family and it was passed on to that source of a family so maybe the coven is the secondary form of family witch magic I don't know that's just the way that I'm thinking about it yeah I love that that your coven could potentially be your soul family your your soul pod that you would have had Mm. these ties to in previous lifetimes that's beautiful Mm. Mm. yeah because I think of the word coven and I think of the word covet Mm -hmm. and so like I want to covet um, the magic, I want to cover the people that I bring into the magic and that share the magic and the trust and the faith and all of the things that are incorporated in doing magic together. Yeah. Um, and that would have been something that would have just been a given at that point in families. Mm. Yeah. And mm. I think the witch, mm. the witch wound um, definitely would come into play in more recent years of people being um, either afraid to kind of seek out others that are witches or doing spell work Mm, absolutely um or even to show that side to the public or to other people it's yeah I think that's definitely come into play but once again where things are changing and people have more freedom so Mm. see it but beautiful question thank you yeah love that question um and I can see where that question came from as well Mm. Yeah, that yearning. Um, yeah. So, divine tool of the week time. It and I is. feel like if you don't say that it's an athame that you told me that I had to wait patiently for at the beginning <laughs> of the episode, then I don't know when athame is supposed to come into it. <laughs> it is an athame. Absolutely. Okay. So, so what's an athame? So an athame, so it's spelt A-T-H-A-M-E for anyone that's wondering. Um, and it's a ritual knife used for directing and manipulating energy. So traditionally, this ceremonial double-edged blade was dagger-shaped with a black handle, although today you can get them embellished with herbs and flowers and crystals and they look quite beautiful. Uh, I have one made out of selenite myself. So the athame is referenced in certain versions of the Key of Solomon, a grimoire dating back to the Renaissance time. And the proper use of the tool was started by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in the early 20th century for use of banishing in rituals. The tool was later adopted by Wiccans. The Athame is also mentioned in the writings of Gerald Gardner in the 1950s, who claimed to have been initiated into a surviving tradition of witchcraft, the New Forest Coven. The Athame was their most important ritual tool. Uh, with many uses, but it was never used for actual physical cutting of objects. There has been speculation that Gardner's interest and expertise in antique swords and knives may have contributed to the tool's central importance in modern Wicca. So many witches use an athame in a similar way. You could use a wand to cast a magical circle, to cut a door in the circle, to cut energetic cords and to direct a spell's energy. So it's a lovely tool to have in your witchy toolbox and on your altar. Do you have one? I do. Yes, mine's just here. Where do you get them from? Uh, I got mine off my crystal wholesaler because mine's a little selenite one, as you can see. But I did see Mm. some amazing ones in Scotland when I was there, but I didn't buy one because we were travelling on from there to, like, Italy and other places, and I just didn't know how I'd go 
getting through customs weapon. with, yeah, with a <laughs> weapon in my bag. So I didn't buy them. But I remember, yeah, looking and these beautiful daggers and, oh, I so bad wanted one. But, yeah, I was just worried it was going to get taken off me going through customs or I'd be arrested. <laughs> yeah, and you wouldn't want to lose it. No, no, not at all. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that fire wisdom. My pleasure. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And that wraps up our four elements. Do you know what we're doing next week? I do. We're going to touch on... Don't tell. Oh, oh okay. It's a I secret. Won't. It's a secret. <laughs> but you have to tune in I just wanted... because it's got to do with the wheel of the year and it's it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> It's witchy and it's cool. It is. And if you don't tune in, you're going to miss out. So we hope everyone is enjoying the podcast. And if you don't follow us yet, head over to Instagram, which is turns out underscore she's a witch. Don't forget that we have two other podcasts in the turns out network. There's turns out underscore it's haunted on Instagram and turns out underscore she's psychic on Instagram. Um, And if you've got any questions, send them through via email at TOS psychic at gmail.com um and yeah we hope that everyone is enjoying the podcast and um that you know you're all getting through the things that we're going through right now and that this manages to bring some joy and some light to to your week so thanks for listening thanks so much everyone and yeah if you have any uh suggestions for what you may want to hear about for divine tool of the week please hit us up i'd love to yeah get a little inkling about what you might want to know more about great idea Mm -hmm. all right guys we'll see you next week bye bye